This podcast discusses cases in which a crime may have occurred. It's important to advise that all parties mentioned or generally referred to on dirty money moves are presumed innocent until proven guilty by law. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on this podcast don't necessarily reflect those of the podcast host, Murderish, or Cloud10 Media. This episode features discussions about infertility, the death of an infant, and stillbirth. Please take care while listening. In the last episode, we talked about what most likely motivated Tara Lee to open Always Hope Pregnancy Center. We took a long, hard look at Tara's finances and job history leading up to her establishing a business, and it was pretty telling. Tara and her husband Jeremy were in financial ruin. They had lost another home to foreclosure, and Tara's wages were still being heavily garnished. There was another bankruptcy, the purchase of another larger home, a new car, and they adopted two babies between 2012 and 2014. Most of Tara's earnings came from selling sexual health products for Pure Romance. Tara honed her skills as a salesperson during the four years she worked with the company and was relatively successful, considering it was a multi-level marketing company. This was a testament to just how good Tara was at finding ways to connect with people on a personal level in order to make a sale. In the fall of 2014, Tara got a job as the intake coordinator at a drug rehab facility, a position that ushered in a higher calling for her, something more than sex toys and secretarial work. It's very likely that Tara met at-risk pregnant women while working at this rehab facility, women who probably reminded her of her own baby's adoptions and who may have sparked the idea for an adoption center. We also learned that the private adoption industry is very lucrative and extremely unregulated, which has allowed people to take advantage of huge loopholes in the system and charge desperate families outrageous fees. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand why Tara opened Always Hope Pregnancy Center in light of all these facts. From 2014 to 2018, Tara ran Always Hope in two states, promising clients that she was focused on her expectant mothers and passionate about merging families. She connected with three lawyers to help take care of the legal side of the adoptions. And as far as anyone knew, Always Hope was a successful, legitimate adoption agency. Two of the lawyers, Talia and Tanya, even decided to go into business with Tara and had filed incorporation documents for a full-service adoption center but a phone call from a woman in late 2018 changed everything. The woman claimed that Tara was a fraud and had been stealing money from her clients by double-matching them with the same babies or with babies that didn't even exist. The angry woman accused the lawyers of being involved in all of it and questioned how they could live with themselves. Caught completely off guard and terrified that the allegations could be true, Talia and Tanya started looking into Tara's records. Along with several prospective adoptive parents who'd already done some digging of their own, they uncovered a trail of victims across the United States. 
people who'd been deceived by Tara in the worst possible ways, each with a story more disgusting and more cruel than anyone could have imagined. From Murderish and Cloud 10 Media, this is Dirty Money Moves, Women in White Collar Crime, a podcast that dives into one story told over several weekly episodes. In season two, I'm taking you along as I look into a woman with an expensive taste for luxury jewelry and accessories who satisfied her desires by taking money from the vulnerable and disadvantaged. A woman who preyed on the hopes and dreams of hundreds of desperate people destroying countless families for generations to come. A con artist of the worst kind, whose cruelty knew no limits. This is Episode 3, Trail of Deceit. It was October of 2018, and lawyers Talia Getting and Tanya Corrado were working in their offices. Next to them sat Tara Lee's huge framed master's degree in social work from Northwestern University. The phone rang, and Tanya answered it as she normally would, not knowing the call would be anything but normal. A woman named Julie was on the other end of the line, and she was not happy. Julie proceeded to tell the lawyers that the baby she was supposed to adopt had died at birth, according to Tara. But Julie believed that Tara made up the entire story. The birth mom, the baby, all of it. Because she couldn't find a record of the birth mother being at any hospital on the day she supposedly gave birth. Julie's story was extremely compelling, and it made Talia and Tanya question everything they thought they knew about Tara Lee. Julie and her husband, Jake Falkenberry, were from South Carolina. They had three sons, but had been trying for another child for a long time. After four miscarriages, Julie was able to get pregnant again, but they lost the baby when she was stillborn at 23 weeks. Julie couldn't bear the idea of going through another pregnancy after suffering such a tragic loss, so they decided to adopt. Julie found Always Hope Adoption Agency on Facebook one day, and like so many others, was totally enamored with Tara and her credentials. Tara made her feel understood. She told Julie that she was a mother of five and had two stillbirths of her own. Of course, Tara made sure to mention how she was all about merging families, and Julie was hooked. By May, The Falkenberries paid a $2,000 sign-on fee and waited to be matched with a baby. Julie and Tara kept in touch throughout the process and became friends. A year later, in May of 2017, Tara called Julie and said, Hey, Mama, you've been matched. And Julie burst into tears of joy. The Falkenberries matched with a woman out of Florida who was four months pregnant with a boy due in October. 
Tara quickly asked for about $15,000 to cover her counseling and doula services, as well as birth mother expenses. She made it clear that if the money wasn't paid immediately, the birth mother would go with another couple. Julie and Jake had to take out a home equity loan and dip into their savings in order to cover the fees. Their church even held a fundraiser to help them get the rest of the money. The Falkenberry's entire family were all very excited and full of hope. The Falkenberry's eagerly prepared for their baby and named their soon-to-be son Jeremiah Elijah, or Eli for short. Julie wanted to thank their birth mother for choosing them, but she wasn't able to speak to her directly. Tara had set it up in such a way that all communications had to go through her. Julie never did hear anything back from the birth mother. In fact, once she had the money, Tara didn't speak much to Julie at all, which was weird. Another strange thing happened in September when Hurricane Irma passed through Florida. Tara told Julie that the birth mother couldn't be found in the aftermath of the storm. She must have been located, however, because shortly after that, Tara called Julie to tell her that she had more bad news. Tess had revealed that baby Eli had multiple congenital defects that would make it impossible for him to survive. He had a hole in his heart, a cyst on his brain, and his face and limbs hadn't developed properly. As if that wasn't horrible enough, Tara added that the abnormalities were consistent with incest. Then, on September 26th, Tara called Julie and told her that Eli was born early that morning, but he only lived for 45 minutes. Of course, this completely devastated the Falkenberries. Not only did it bring up all the pain from her own recent stillbirth, but Julie also felt horrible for the birth mother, having to go through that same type of tragedy. To add insult to injury, Tara called Julie to tell her what a difficult time the birth mother was having with the baby's passing. She told Julie, a woman struggling to deal with her own losses that the birth mother couldn't do anything but lay in bed crying, holding an urn with Eli's ashes. Julie was absolutely heartbroken over this news. The only comfort Tara provided, if you can even call it that, was a promise to give Julie the birth and death certificates, as well as photos of Eli. Tara also made sure to tell Julie that she had about $12,000 left from their fees that could be rolled over into another adoption. Julie and Jake agreed to try again. Fast forward to April of 2018, Tara matched the Falconberries with another baby. And wouldn't you know it, the fees were the exact amount they had left over from their first adoption. But when Tara sent over a fee schedule, the fees had increased by about $8,500. Julie was beginning to wonder what the hell was going on. Why the huge increase out of nowhere? And why hadn't Tara given her Eli's paperwork and pictures yet? Then, in July, Tara posted on social media that she was planning to close Always Hope in order to work with orphans in Africa. 
Fearful that she might not get them, Julie messaged Tara and asked for Eli's documents and pictures that she'd been promised 10 months earlier. Tara sent a text message that read, I'm sorry your adoption failed, but I'm not sure why you think I ever had that stuff. By the way, I hope you don't think this was a scam. But that's exactly what Julie was beginning to think. Not surprisingly, at that point, Julie and Jake decided not to go through with another adoption. Tara ended up refunding them about $8,000, but the check came from a company called TL Adoption Services. It seemed like Tara was starting a new company, but Julie wasn't sure why. By that time, Julie had been talking to another woman who also had a failed adoption with Tara, and Julie was growing more and more concerned that her birth mother and Eli never existed. The woman Julie connected with was Courtney Edmond. Courtney had a failed adoption with Tara around the same time as Julie, and she and Tara did a Facebook Live video discussing it. The video promoted Always Hope and featured Courtney talking about how to have hope after fail. Julie saw the Facebook video, DM'd Courtney to offer her support, and they became friends. Courtney and her husband Curtis lived in Colorado. They had four children, but desperately wanted more kids. Courtney had gone through several difficult pregnancies, so in 2014, they decided to adopt. After two years with local adoption agencies and no matches, the Edmonds decided to explore agencies nationwide. That's when Courtney found Always Hope through a Facebook group. Everyone in the group raved about Tara. They were totally captivated by her, including Courtney, because she told them exactly what they needed and wanted to hear. Tara told her desperate clients that her adoptions never failed, that she had tons of training and gave all her birth mothers counseling at least once per week. According to Courtney, everyone seemed to almost worship Tara. Courtney refers to this infatuation as the Tara trance because Tara made people feel so understood, so hopeful, so safe that they couldn't see the truth. Tara wasn't stupid. She knew just how naive and vulnerable these women, these families were. No doubt this was all by design because the way Tara spoke to people made them trust her and with their trust came their money. Courtney fell in love with Tara the first time they talked and they became fast friends. Courtney especially liked the fact that Tara was a doula because Courtney also had doula training and knew how helpful that would be for a birth mother. One week after the Edmonds signed a contract with Tara in 2017, they were matched with a birth mother named Portia. Tara set up a group FaceTime chat between Courtney, Curtis, Portia, and Tara, but she ran the entire conversation. Portia never said one word and didn't even look at the camera. It was extremely awkward. Twenty minutes after the FaceTime, Tara called Courtney to let her know that Portia had picked them and that $8,000 in fees were due immediately and a $3,000 match fee and $5,000 for birth mother expenses. 
The Edmonds took money out of their savings and used credit cards to cover the costs. Only a week later, Tara was already asking for more money because Portia supposedly crashed her car and needed repairs. The week after that, Tara asked for more money, this time to buy Portia food because her family had gotten high and eaten it all. This behavior continued the entire pregnancy. Tara would ask for $500 here, $1,000 there, and she insinuated that Courtney and Curtis could lose the baby if they didn't pay. At the same time, Tara would reassure Courtney that the adoption was a sure thing, that she should set up the nursery and have a gender reveal party. It must have been so confusing to have Tara play both sides like that. I imagine you'd never feel sure about anything. Keeping people in a constant state of confusion was likely part of Tara's manipulation. It made it very difficult for her clients to truly grasp what was really going on. You might have already heard me sing the praises of pros and what it's done for my hair. I've been seeing incredible results after implementing my personalized pros hair care routine. Bad hair days are a thing of the past now. Thanks to pros, I've been able to wake up with one less thing to worry about because I know my hair is the smoothest, shiniest, and most voluminous it's ever been. And it doesn't take a crazy 10-step hair care routine to see real results. Normally, all I use is my Pro Shampoo and Conditioner. Not only have I seen improvements in my hair texture, I also get to enjoy great smelling products that leave my hair looking and smelling amazing. Pros knows there's more to you than just whether you have straight or curly hair. They make it a priority to take the time to get to know you through their in-depth hair quiz. When I took the quiz, I was so surprised by the level of detail they ask about your lifestyle and routines. For example, they asked about my eating habits, exercise routine, and even where I normally work out. It never even crossed my mind that where I normally work out may have an effect on my hair. Once you take the quiz, Pros analyzes over 85 of your personal factors to determine a unique blend of ingredients to treat your exact concerns. And we all know that the only constant in life is change. So I love that Pros has a review and refine feature that lets you tweak your formulas for any reason, like a change of address, hair color, or even your diet. Pros is an industry leader in clean and responsible beauty. All their ingredients are sustainably sourced, ethically gathered, and cruelty-free. Switching over to Pros is truly a win-win for everyone. But if you're not 100% positive that Pros is the best hair care you've ever had, they'll take the products back with no questions asked. Pros is the healthy hair care regimen with your name all over it. Take your free in-depth hair consultation and get 15% off your first order today. Go to pros.com slash dirty money. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash dirty money for your free in-depth hair consultation and 15% off. On October 12, 2017, Tara called the Edmonds and told them to get on a plane immediately. Portia was in labor. They arrived in Detroit late that evening, but Tara told them it was too late to visit the baby, who'd already been born and was in the NICU. 
The next morning, Tara wasn't responding to Courtney's text messages. When Tara finally did answer, she asked Courtney if she and Curtis were in Detroit, as if she didn't already know they were there, which was odd. They met up for lunch and then went to the hospital, where the Edmonds were finally able to meet their baby. Later that night, they were able to be a part of his feeding before Tara made them leave to pick up some food for Portia. When they returned, Tara dropped a bombshell. Portia was thinking about keeping the baby. Courtney was extremely upset, but Tara assured her that everything would work out, that Portia just needed a few days. Tara invited Courtney to stay with her while Portia made up her mind so that Curtis could get back to Colorado. Courtney stayed with Tara for nearly 10 days. She met her husband, Jeremy, her children, and several of Tara's family members. In the end, Portia decided to keep her baby, and Courtney went home to Colorado, her heart shattered. Tara and Courtney stayed in touch and were close enough friends that Courtney made semi-regular visits to Tara's home. During those visits, Courtney saw that Tara wore red-bottomed shoes, a trademark of luxury designer Christian Louboutin. She also had a huge jewelry case filled with diamonds and watches and a closet full of Balenciaga shoes and designer purses. In fact, Everyone in the family seemed to have name-brand everything. Tara's oldest daughter had a brand-new Dodge Charger, and the family had a new boat. Tara also remodeled two bathrooms and her kitchen, all at the same time. Courtney actually helped to pick out the sinks and marble counters. On one particular day, Courtney went shopping with Tara at a high-end mall, and when they walked into the Louis Vuitton store, the staff knew Tara by name. Then, she dropped over $1,000 for a purse. Tara made it a point to tell Courtney that Jeremy owned an HVAC company and made enough money for them to afford all of these things, that she didn't use money from adoptions. Tara must have realized that her spending habits could raise some red flags, so she tried to squash any suspicions before they could become a problem for her. We dug deep but we couldn't find any evidence of Jeremy ever owning an HVAC company in Michigan. Around January of 2018, Courtney did the Facebook Live video with Tara. A lot of people saw the video, including one of Tara's mamas, as she liked to call them. The pregnant woman wanted Courtney to adopt her baby, and though they weren't ready at first... The Edmonds soon agreed to the adoption. They started paying Tara money for the match and expenses. This time around, Courtney didn't let Tara lead the communication. She and the birth mother spoke behind Tara's back. This allowed Courtney to find out things that she otherwise wouldn't have known about, like the fact that the birth mother's rent was not being paid. Worse, she had no appliances or furniture even though the Edmonds paid for those things. The birth mother and her children were sleeping on the concrete floor during a Michigan winter. Unbelievably, the pregnant woman had to keep their food outside in the snow to keep it from spoiling. 
Courtney confronted Tara, but Tara assured her that the birth mother was lying. When the birth mother was nearing her due date, Courtney happened to be in Michigan, but she needed to return home to Colorado soon. In order to speed up the birth, Tara took the birth mother to a doctor and told them that they needed to get the baby out because the mother was suicidal. This was a complete lie, told in the hopes that the doctor would induce labor, and it worked. The doctor stripped the woman's membranes and the baby was born. It was at this point that Courtney realized just how evil Tara really was. Courtney spent all night and the next day with the birth mother. After Curtis arrived, they signed adoption papers. Per hospital protocol, a social worker spoke to the birth mother alone, and she began to waver on the adoption. She didn't want to see or speak to Tara at all. But Tara showed up anyway, trying to insert herself and control everything. Courtney was able to speak with the birth mother alone because they had formed a secret bond, despite Tara's efforts. Courtney offered to walk away from the adoption to make the decision easier for the birth mother. Tara found out about this and ripped into Courtney, accusing her of sabotaging the adoption. The next day, Tara and Courtney weren't on the visitor list. It was over. Courtney saw Tara for exactly what she was, a narcissist who tried to control every aspect of Courtney's life. Two weeks after this second failed adoption, the Edmonds got a phone call from a Las Vegas adoption agency about a baby, and they finally had a successful adoption. But even in the middle of that pure joy, Courtney found herself worrying that Tara would be mad at her for adopting through someone else. Despite knowing that Tara wasn't a good person, this thought process isn't out of the ordinary for someone who suffered severe emotional abuse, similar to someone with Stockholm Syndrome. And the sad thing is, Courtney wasn't wrong. Tara went off on her when she found out. This made absolutely clear that Tara was only concerned about her money and not about successful adoptions. Soon after, Courtney connected with yet another woman who had misgivings about Tara. Sarah Scott and her husband had two failed adoptions through Always Hope. The couple lived in Maryland and had adopted a son. The process for that adoption led Sarah to research unethical behavior in the private adoption world, and what she found appalled her. So, when the Scots decided to try another adoption, Sarah searched for an agency that was on the up-and-up. Someone from an online adoption group had amazing things to say about Always Hope. The first time Sarah spoke to Tara, they talked for hours. In her usual way, Tara had all the right things to say and presented herself as being passionate about ethical adoptions. She was exactly what Sarah was looking for. It took a few months to save up the initial fee of $2,500. After that, the Scots were matched with a birth mother who was four months pregnant. 
they paid a match fee of $3,750 and $5,000 for birth mother expenses, which was supposed to last through the rest of the pregnancy. After a little over a month, however, Tara started saying nasty things about the birth mother. Tara said she was full of drama and not going to place her baby for adoption. This was not the kind of behavior that Sarah expected from the Tara she initially met. And much to Sarah's shock, all the money she and her husband had paid to cover the entire pregnancy was already gone. Sarah's husband had second thoughts about Tara at this point, but they were in too deep financially. So they stuck with Tara and she promised she could find another baby. Their second match seemed perfect and they were able to meet this birth mother in person. Tara immediately collected $4,000 for expenses. Within a week, she asked for another $2,000, and then another $4,000 over the next two months. Tara had a sad story for every single request, so they paid up every time Tara asked for more. It made Sarah and her husband very nervous that their money was disappearing so quickly, but in the end, they gave Tara $13,000, nearly double what they were told it would cost. Tara kept telling them to hang in there, that they'd soon have a baby in their arms. Three weeks before her due date, the birth mother suddenly went into labor and gave birth in her home. So the birth mother had to find a way to get herself and the newborn to the hospital. Tara called the Scots and told them to get to Detroit. So they quickly got into a car and made the nine-hour drive from Maryland. They were beyond excited, and their son couldn't wait to meet his new sibling. Throughout the drive, Tara was unreachable. She later claimed it was because she was rushing to fly back to Detroit to meet the birth mother at the hospital. For eight hours, she couldn't find a moment to talk to the Scots. Eventually, when they were about an hour from the hospital, Tara sent a text message to say the birth mom decided to keep her baby. The Scots were inconsolable. Their long drive home was spent thinking about the empty nursery waiting for them. A few weeks later, Sarah connected with Courtney, and they realized that Tara had told both of them, separately, that they were her first ever fail with Always Hope. Another lie from the woman they had both trusted. It was clear that something was not right, and they needed to do something about it. Sarah and Courtney started a private Facebook group. Julie Falconberry joined the group, and together, the three women began reaching out to others who had failed adoptions or odd experiences with Tara and Always Hope. They discovered that Always Hope was not licensed, nor was Tara a licensed social worker or doula. They also found many of Tara's past fraud charges and realized that her master's degree was completely fake. Within a few months, the Facebook group had over 100 members, each with stories of heartbreak, devastation, and financial loss. Frightening patterns emerged that went well beyond anything the women could have imagined. 
there was evidence of birth mothers that didn't even exist. Sarah, Courtney, and Julie also found that Tara would send out adoption opportunities to her various referral agencies or post them online. But many of the opportunities were nearly identical, as if she had cut and pasted, which made it more likely that these opportunities were fabricated. Tara would claim to have been working with a birth mother for months, but in reality, she had just met them and matched them with a family immediately. She wasn't taking any time to get to know the birth mothers or counsel them as she claimed. Instead of making sure these women were informed and truly wanted to place their babies, she pushed them into adoptions that ultimately failed because of second thoughts, or she pushed them into giving up their child when they didn't even want to in the first place. There were so many stories of coercion in the delivery rooms that Sarah called her second birth mother to ask about her experience with Tara. The woman said that Tara tried to guilt her into giving up her baby and tried to bribe her with a new car if she would sign the documents. When that didn't work, Tara threatened to have her kicked out of her apartment. The stories kept piling up, stretching from California to Indiana and everywhere in between. Amber Mori, a medical student from Arizona, was matched with a birth mother named Stacy in 2017. Amber paid $9,500 in fees, but within a month, Tara was asking for more money. Shortly after, Tara told her that Stacy's parents wanted to keep the baby because it was their first grandchild. Amber wasn't deterred, and she said she'd stay with it as long as Stacy was on board. Tara could have ended this charade right there, but instead, she said Stacy wanted to go through with the adoption. So Amber stayed involved and flew from Arizona to Detroit for the baby's birth. Just as she'd done before, Tara ignored Amber's text messages when she arrived, but eventually, she told her that Stacy never checked into the hospital and had disappeared. Amber was filled with worry and had nightmares that the baby was found in a dumpster. Tara explained it all away, saying Stacy must have just decided to keep the baby, so Amber returned to Arizona with no baby. She sobbed for days and couldn't bring herself to take down the nursery that she had set up. Now, after speaking to Sarah, Courtney, and Julie, she was questioning whether Stacy even existed. Another prospective adoptive family from Wisconsin was sent a fake sonogram picture from a prank website after asking Tara how their birth mother was doing. There were stories of families whose birth mothers suddenly miscarried, disappeared, or even died. Tara even told tall tales of having cancer or suffering a heart attack or being shot in the chest. She tried to tug at people's heartstrings in any way she could. One of the more outrageous stories involved a couple from Georgia. Tara told them, one week before their baby was due, that their birth mother had been shot and killed and the baby died on the way to the hospital. Unbelievably, Tara even asked the grieving couple to give money to the funeral fund. It wasn't only the adoptive families who suffered. Tara took advantage of birth mothers, too, leaving them to fend for themselves when they came to her for help. 
Tara offered these at-risk women support, counseling, and protection. Instead, she left many of them in deplorable conditions, without heat or water. She housed them in bug-infested apartments, without furniture or basic necessities, and the counseling services were non-existent. Arguably, the most horrifying revelation was that Tara actually did vaginal exams on some of the birth mothers, under the guise that she was a doula. But doulas are not medical professionals and are never supposed to give vaginal exams. Sarah, Courtney, and Julie knew that Tara needed to be stopped. In July of 2018, Julie contacted the FBI, and they were very interested in what the women had discovered so far. It was around this time that Julie found out that lawyers Talia and Tanya were getting ready to go into business with Tara. As far as Julie knew, they could be part of Tara's scam. So, in October of 2018, with Courtney on the line listening in, Julie called the lawyers at their office and confronted them. After the conversation was over, Talia and Tanya sat in shock. Here's Tanya talking to me about the moment right after they hung up with Julie. So when I hung up with her, Talia and I were still in the office. I remember saying to Talia, do you really think Tara would make a, a baby? Like, do you really think that? And we're like, hmm, no, that's crazy talk, right? But now it's in the back of our mind. Talia and Tanya called Maria Penchenko, the lawyer for many of Tara's birth mothers, and let her know what had just happened. Maria had a hard time believing that Tara could do such horrible things, but she couldn't be sure either. It just so happened that Tara was away in Africa during this time. Supposedly, she had gone to Ghana to build a school for orphans. The lawyers realized this was their chance to figure out what might be going on without Tara knowing. Talia remembered that Tara had given her access to her emails to help with their business venture. All three lawyers got together and combed through thousands of emails. They found that multiple birth mother profiles were attached to the same person, meaning that Tara was using a single birth mother, changing her name and due date slightly, and then presenting her as a completely different birth mother. They also discovered wire transfer receipts, indicating that money had been paid directly to a birth mother, which wasn't legal. They called the FBI and passed on the information they'd uncovered. Then, they started reaching out to clients to let them know that their adoptions might be part of a scam. It was extremely overwhelming and emotional for everyone involved. With the information about Tara swirling around in the private Facebook group, plus the lawyers and the FBI reaching out to possible victims, it was inevitable that someone would start asking questions. If you remember from episode one, we opened with a brief story about Teresa and Mike Matheny preparing to make a 700-mile journey from their home in Georgia all the way to Michigan to bring home their long-awaited baby. They had packed their car that night and were set to leave in the morning, but their world came crashing down around them before the night was over. 
Teresa got a mass email from an adoption referral agency in Michigan asking if anyone had worked with Tara. Teresa had a bad feeling, so she emailed back immediately. No one responded to her, so she tried calling the agency directly, but nobody answered. Growing increasingly concerned, Teresa sent a text message. Finally, someone replied. The text message said, Don't contact anyone. Don't contact Tara. Someone will be in touch with you shortly. Then came the phone call that dropped Teresa to her knees in the basement of her house. The person on the other end of the line told her all about what had been discovered so far, that there was a chance that her baby wasn't even real. Teresa and Mike immediately called their lawyers for the adoption, Talia and Tanya. The Matheny's had hooked up with Tara and Always Hope through an adoption referral agency in October of 2018. They had a conference call with Tara and the birth mother, at the end of which the birth mother chose the Matheny's to adopt her baby. She was only two weeks away from her delivery date. Tara said she needed an immediate payment of $13,000. The Matheny's paid over the phone with two separate credit card transactions after first getting their credit limit increased. One transaction was for $5,000 to cover Tara's counseling and doula services, and the second transaction was for $8,000 to cover birth mother expenses. Two days later, the Matheny signed a contract. Mike Matheny, who was usually a fine print kind of guy and careful with money, didn't double check anything. They were too distracted by their excitement to finally have a child, so they did whatever Tara asked. When the Matheny's called their lawyers the night of the devastating phone call about Tara, They spoke to Tanya and asked if the allegations about her were true. Tanya spent nearly six hours on the phone with them, breaking the news that the FBI was investigating Tara for double-matching families and completely making up birth mothers. Tanya told the couple that there was no reason to believe that their baby wasn't real, but there was also no way to be sure. Tanya's advice was to make the drive to Michigan and act like nothing was wrong. She told the Matheny's not to tell anyone about the investigation, not even their family. They needed to pretend like they didn't know anything and go through with the adoption if they could. She also warned them not to give Tara any more money now that they knew about the investigation because it could interfere with the case or worse, they could even be charged with fraud. So, that's exactly what they did. The Matheny's drove to Michigan the next morning, October 20th, and stayed in an Airbnb. Tara had suggested that everyone meet up for dinner at a local Texas roadhouse, still unsure if there would actually be a birth mother. The Matheny's showed up at the restaurant, and to their relief, there was a birth mother, and she was very pregnant. The dinner was extremely awkward because Tara controlled every aspect of the conversation. The birth parents couldn't say much of anything because Tara kept stepping in. It was almost as if they were too scared to speak or scared to upset Tara. Teresa also noticed that Tara was wearing a Lululemon sweatsuit, a Rolex watch, and Prada reading glasses. 
not to mention her freshly painted, diamond-encrusted fingernails, like she was some kind of Kardashian wannabe. Meanwhile, the birth mother didn't even have a coat or shoes appropriate for a Michigan winter. It was all Teresa could do not to jump over the table and beat the shit out of Tara. But Teresa knew she had to play it cool if she was going to get through this. When dinner was over, Mike Matheny paid the bill, which included extra food that Tara had ordered to take home. Unbelievable. A few days later, the birth mom the Matheny's had just met passed out behind the wheel while in the parking lot of a convenience store. An ambulance came, but she refused to go to the hospital with them. Her car ended up getting towed due to some vehicle code violations, and Tara was nowhere to be found. She never even came to help the birth mother. Instead, she told her to take an Uber to the hospital, alone and in distress. The Matheny's met Tara at the hospital, where doctors induced the birth mother due to concerns over her extremely high blood pressure. Teresa, unbeknownst to Tara, secretly recorded much of what went on in the hospital room during this time. Teresa gave us these recordings, and they are absolutely sickening. There are cringeworthy moments like this one, when Tara leans in and whispers to Teresa, as the birth mother is lying only feet away, scared and uncomfortable. If you didn't catch that, Tara said to Teresa, in a whisper, you have a balance to me of 4,000. That's what was on Tara's mind at that very moment. Not the birth mother, not the baby, the money. Then, she had the nerve to tell this blatant lie. I protect my mothers till the ends of the earth. It's indefensible. Eventually, Tara told the Matheny's it would be hours before the baby arrived and that they should head to their Airbnb to rest. She promised to call them when the baby was coming. Tara knew the Airbnb was about 35 minutes away. What she didn't know was that the Matheny's decided to stay at a hotel near the hospital instead because they were pretty sure that Tara was trying to keep them from being present for the birth of the baby. For all they knew, she was going to give the baby to someone else. The baby ended up being born as the Matheny's were driving to the hospital, but because they were so close, they arrived quickly. No one was with the birth mother except for Tara. The birth father wasn't there. She had no other support. The baby was in the NICU because he had some health issues. Tara didn't seem to care about any of that, though. She kept hounding Teresa and Mike for the $4,000, and they kept coming up with excuses to push off paying her. The Matheny's spent the next six weeks in Michigan, staying with their baby until he was able to go home. During that time, Teresa spoke to other families in the Facebook group and discovered that Tara had indeed matched their baby with another family. And that family had also been paying birth mother expenses to Tara. The Matheny's also found out that Tara's half-sister, Katie, 
was a labor and delivery nurse in the very hospital where their son was born. This didn't appear to be a coincidence, and the hospital stepped up security for the Matheny's just in case. They suspended Katie while things could be sorted out. Teresa and Mike were the only people allowed in the NICU with the baby. The entire time they were in Michigan, they were terrified that someone would take their baby away or try to hurt them in some way. They didn't know who to trust. Teresa and Mike were one of the few to have a successful adoption with Tara, but because they were so frightened and under so much stress the entire time, they missed out on their opportunity to bond with their son during those six weeks. It was heartbreaking. Tara became completely unhinged after the Matheny's baby was born. She tried to get Talia and Tanya to stop the adoption, claiming that Teresa and Mike were unfit to be parents, an allegation that could have been very serious if the lawyers weren't already aware of Tara's scams. Tara left a hundred messages in a single day on the birth mother's cell phone, trying to convince her not to give them the baby. Tara was erratic and totally out of control. She was so consumed by her need to stop the adoption that she probably failed to realize what was about to go down when the FBI knocked on her door only a week later. Next time on Dirty Money Moves, the FBI raids Tara's house and their investigation goes public. Tara is finally taken down along with one of her accomplices, but would they remain in custody for long? In all, federal prosecutors say Lee took in more than $1.6 million during the last two years. Now, another mom is in serious trouble with the feds. And Helica Wiggins has been arrested and charged with wire fraud and conspiracy. FBI agents say Wiggins both conspired with and aided in... Dirty Money Moves is a collaboration between Murderish and Cloud 10 Media. Executive producers are myself, Jamie Rice, and Sim Sarna. Research and writing is done by Gina Mazzolini. Emily Crane does the audio mixing and editing. Josh Cook composed the music, and Brian Stefanik created the podcast cover art. Follow us at Dirty Money Moves on Instagram and TikTok. If you like the show, please do us the biggest favor by reviewing the podcast and leaving us a few stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening now. If you're into true crime content, check out my other podcast, Murderish. A list of sources used for this episode is available at Murderish.com. Thanks so much for listening and see you next week for a brand new episode. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.